RX. I'm Kurt Anderson, and this is the Studio 360 Podcast. Hi, this is Sam Kim, one of the producers of Studio 360. On January 31st, Netflix will be releasing the final eight episodes of BoJack Horseman. You know, I liked the show when it first came out, but I really liked the show when it started taking these unexpected, tragic turns. For six and a half seasons, it balanced showbiz jokes and animal wordplay with unflinching depictions of trauma, drug addiction, and mental illness. No, BoJack, just stop. You are all the things that are wrong with you. It's not the alcohol or the drugs or any of the shitty things that happened to you in your career or when you were a kid. It's you. All right? It's you. Fuck, man. What else is there to say? And somehow it all worked. But before we say goodbye to the show, we wanted to revisit an interview we did with the creator of BoJack Horseman, Raphael Bob Waxberg. Kurt talked to him in 2017. I realized I tend to like my TV comedy the same way I like my coffee, which is very dark, but also sweetened, which I guess is why I'm such a fan of BoJack Horseman, which is this animated series on Netflix about a washed-up 90s sitcom star living in the Hollywood Hills who is a horse. This is my last chance to make people love me again. If this goes out, everybody's going to see the real me. Now, I spend a lot of time with the real me, and believe me, nobody's going to love that guy. If you'll excuse me, I need to go take a shower so I can't tell if I'm crying or not. That is Will Arnett as the voice of BoJack. His character, like most of the characters in the show, has an animal head on a humanoid body. BoJack is a horse man. And among other things, I'm fascinated by how it strikes this balance between edgy existential themes and subjects and goofy jokes. Raphael Bob Waxberg is the creator of BoJack Horseman, and he's here. Raphael, welcome to Studio 360. Hi, Kurt. How are you? I'm well, and thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. Um, so every uh, episode of BoJack Horseman is rich with uh, show business references. Uh, one that I want to play for our listeners, because, of course, they are public media nerds, uh, many of them, is your character Diane's ringtone. Here, here it is. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Sarah Koenig. This is one ringtone told over the course of several rings. <laughs> and the story it's telling you is to answer your phone. Hello? <laughs> uh, that's Sarah Koenig, uh, the host of, of Serial, uh, the great podcast. But that's not all. You've also had uh, Ira Glass and Terry Gross and Audie Cornish uh, do ringtones. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- uh, is that because – are you virtue signaling or do you just like public radio? Uh- <laughs> well, you know, more more than uh, me liking public radio is it, it felt like a great uh, way to explain character, and that Diane likes public radio, the character right. who has all these ringtones, ah, um, and especially sense. you know the, the the first time we did it. Uh, was in season one with Ira Glass, and we were trying to, you know, kind of show something about this character, explain who she was, and we thought, uh, you know, what what is more declarative than having a, a ringtone right. that you got by being a, a contributing member of of public radio? From the start, people said, "Oh, BoJack Horseman, such a dark comedy." Mm-hmm. Here is a clip from your fourth season about gun violence affecting studio decision making. Oh. 
Oh. Oh, that is not good. Okay, everybody set a Google alert for mass shooting. Can't keep getting caught off guard like this. This is so sad. You always hear about mass shootings affecting other people's movie openings, but you never think they're going to affect your movie <laughs> opening. Of course, my thoughts and prayers go out to the victims and their families. Of course, yeah, thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. I love that. I love the thoughts and <laughs> prayers. Um, so, uh, I mean, is the appeal to you of, oh, I'm going to use this goofy animal-humans cartoon venue to deal with these real issues, or, or, or is it, oh, it's it's funnier to have animals dealing with these real issues? I mean, is, is are you serving the comedy or are you serving the issues? I think I think both actually, and I think I think those those things kind of go hand in hand a little bit, and that in some ways it's easier to talk about these very uh, serious issues through the lens of these these wacky cartoon animals, and I think the show business uh, setting kind of gives us that too, because this industry is so over the top and outlandish. Uh, you know, the the box office bottom line is very uh, over the top and silly, but also has a germ of truth to it. Right. Um, and so I think the fact that we can go to these silly, sillier, outlandish places allows us to comment on this real stuff in a way that perhaps if we were more straight ahead, it would feel almost like after-school specialish or, right. um, you know, uh, maudlin or, or indulgent. And I, and I think, like that clip in particular, somehow with animal, cartoon animals doing it, you can get away with more. It's pretty detestable. And if it's, you know, humans doing it, live action, you kind of don't like those people. But when it's like a cute pink cat, it feels a little lighter. Like, you know, it, it doesn't quite feel as heavy or as, frankly, evil. Right. You cut slack for the pink cats. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, give me an example of a joke or, or, or subject or, that you wrote and then decided, nah, over the line, too grim, too, too dark. Sure. Because um, we, you know, we, we are Im- imperfect, uh, <laughs> an imperfect species, um, television writers. Here's, you know, a joke we took out in, in season three. Um, you know, somebody had, you know, like an, an embarrassing news cycle. And then there, we, had, we had a line that someone was trying to comfort him. And it's something along the lines of, yeah, that, w- that was all over the news. You know, uh, good thing it's not today because that, that, that cop shot that black kid. You're really lucky that cops can't stop shooting black kids. Um, which, you know, the intention behind the joke was, yeah, we are on the side of the black kids saying, hey, cops, uh-huh. stop stop shooting them. Like, this, this is an anti-cop joke. This is an anti-power joke. This is an anti-authority joke. Um, and it's very easy to make that intellectual argument in favor of it. But as we were looking at it and as we were talking about it, it felt like, well, but who is making this joke and, and who is going to hear it and who is our audience? And, and even... Making a joke about it, even to say like this is an this is an an anti this happening joke, it still felt like well, yeah, but we're also like digging up this scar that is very fresh and this wound um, that is 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 very um, active, and maybe this is mm-hmm. not our joke mm-hmm. to make. Right. No, it's a really interesting question with with satire and and edgy satire because people don't realize how much of that is drawing your lines because there are no obvious bright lines and and everybody right. has to draw it for themselves at a particular moment. You know, I, I think there, there it's good to have, you know, um general guidelines for yourself like the idea of of aiming to punch up and not punch down. Um I think is a, is a good uh rubric for thinking about it. Um obviously it's not a a fail safe because 
you know, there is no such thing as straight up or straight down. You know, these 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 uh, oppression exists upon many different axes. I guess it's, it, I mean, it's a problem that's been a problem for television comedy writers since Archie Bunker. Like, oh, no, 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 mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're disapproving exactly. of this racism. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's a question that has not been satisfyingly answered to me. And I don't know if there is an answer. I think, I think it is, it is good to keep that conversation open because I think there are, you know, people who write for television who are more than happy to wash their hands of that conversation yes. and say, no, no, you don't just, you just don't get my satire. Right. I'm on the right side of this. Right. And I, I kind of feel like, well, if, you know, if your heart is in the right place, that doesn't necessarily counteract any damage you are doing. And I, and I don't. You know, I don't think we should be censoring people or or, or or mandating, you know, certain topics or off limits or certain languages off limits. But I, I think it does put the responsibility on television creators to think about what they're doing. Um, you also, in addition to creating the show, uh, do a voice of Charlie the Tree Frog. I do. I do a handful of voices. Yes, Charlie's my most prominent one. He's the intern of a n- different character called Princess Caroline. Here's here is uh, Charlie. In the meantime, help yourself to an intern, one of the rising stars at our company, Charlie Witherspoon. Hello, I oh, sorry, my my hands are really sticky. <laughs> oh God, am I blowing this? Charlie was the editor of the Harvard Lampoon. That other voice uh, is Stephen Colbert's. Um, so, are is that is that some caricature version of the weenie that the inner weenie that is you? <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I, I will say that you know uh, Charlie in, in, is very much an object of ridicule for the show. Um, but I've been sh- shocked and delighted by how many people see themselves in Charlie. Yeah. That he is, you know, he 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 can't do anything right. He continues to fail upwards. His career is going great, um, but he just constantly is a well of neuroses and and um, which I, I do think connects to a lot of people. And I will say myself as well. You know, that kind of that uh, imposter syndrome feeling of like, oh God, I, everyone's gonna see that I'm not really good at this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Um, Thank you. Um, uh, the, 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 this 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 obsessive attack you do on a Harvard Lampoon uh, comes up many times <laughs> again in in season three uh, when Bojack uh, meets his his writing partner, uh, a hamster uh, named Cuddly Whiskers. Yes, Jeffrey Wright voices. Here is that clip. Do you want to just tell me about the show? I hear it's great. I've worked on great shows my whole career. Great <laughs> shows are easy. I didn't become president <laughs> of the Lampoon so I could make great shows. Harvard Lampoon. Yeah, I got it. I'm trying <laughs> to do something different here, something that lasts. Huh. Think about it. And if you're ready to finally stop being the horse from horsing around, send me an email. Cuddlywhiskers <laughs> at harvard.edu. That's H-A-R. I got it. <laughs> As an alumnus of the Harvard Lampoon, I find all of those incredibly <laughs> good and funny. And I guess, yeah, yeah, that's what that's what you have to do when you go to Bard, I guess, really, right? I guess <laughs> you gotta take take them down. Um, you know, it's 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 funny because when um, Stephen Colbert, who played uh, who plays uh, Charlie Witherspoon's father, Mister Witherspoon, who you heard in that first clip, mm-hmm. uh, you know, has the line out. He was the editor of the Harvard Lampoon, and he asked me, "Oh, uh, you know, a, a bunch of your writers uh, went to Harvard, huh?" And I had to be like, "Actually, n- no, <laughs> the, the opposite. We're 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 making fun of that that trope and that that idea that people come out of Harvard with like a rubber stamp in Hollywood and kind of you know get get uh, channeled directly to the to the nearest sitcom writers' yeah. room. And there is a there is a mafia of them out there. It is. It's true. And it's I 
I don't really have beef with them or you and 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 good good for you and I think that's it's wonderful that you've you've all found that success um but to me it does feel a little odd this fascination with yes. Harvard oh of course they're 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 brilliant they went to Harvard yeah. it's like I've I, I've known some real dummies who went to Harvard me so, too me too yes, dude. They're, they're, I'm sure you you more than anyone yeah. would know the people yeah. the people who go to Harvard are the first to be like oh my god no yeah Harvard's full of morons the show will resume very very shortly but first, I wanted to take this opportunity to remind you to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Studio360Show. And now, back to the podcast. So we asked you to tell us, uh, give us a list of some of the, th- the shows and, mm-hmm. and films that have influenced uh, the creation of BoJack Horseman. Uh, so we're going to play a few clips and talk about them. Oh, okay. First is the, the, the groundbreaking uh, 1988 live-action animated hybrid uh, who framed Roger Rabbit. And in this scene, the the human star, Bob Hoskins, Eddie, the private detective, uh, is meeting uh, Jessica Rabbit, the sexy cartoon right. uh, that Kathleen Turner voices. You've got me all wrong. You don't know how hard it is being a woman looking the way I do. Yeah, well, you don't know how hard it is being a man looking at a woman looking the way you do. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Now, hearing that rather than seeing it, of course, is different because it's, oh, it's just this guy and this sexy woman. But uh, <laughs> but but it is, I can see why that's on your list. Interspecies, anthropomorphic, yeah, well, uh, so, you know. Who Framed Roger Rabbit is one of my favorite movies of all time. And in fact, I think it is the, maybe the, the first movie that I really loved in, I'm not going to say an adult way because I was, you know, in middle school. Um, but that I would really say, like, oh, this is this is my movie. I really love it, and I would dig into it. And I think it really affected so much about the way I see the world and experience the world. There's a lot about comedy in that movie. And, you know, Roger Rabbit talks about how powerful comedy is. A laugh can be a very powerful thing. Why, sometimes in life, it's the only weapon we have. And it really... Um, impressed itself upon me, and it's something that I, I really do believe, like the power of comedy and, and and using comedy as a tool to talk about certain things, or you know, uh, get around certain things, um, or approach certain things. Um, I think it's really incredible. I think the movie uh, articulates it very well, and I think for for a long time. Uh, you know, in my adolescence, comedy was the only tool I had for communication and, 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 and dealing with the world and dealing with people. I didn't know any other lens in which to do it. D- does that uh, indicate that you were, I mean, w- you had a problematic adolescence and you could only be happy by being funny? I Well, I think problematic might be over... Uh, stating it, but I, you know, I had um, I had ADHD when I was a kid. I had behavioral problems. Um, I didn't always feel like I, I fit in, uh, which is you know somewhat universal. I, you know, I, I don't I don't want to imply that I was like some, you know, super out there kid. Right. Of course, on your list of, of influences is The Simpsons. Let's play a clip. I don't think we need to remind people sure. what The Simpsons is, but here's a clip uh, mm-hmm. uh, when from the 90s when Homer uh, discovers Marge is pregnant with baby Maggie. Surprise! Baby shower! Baby shower? You know I haven't told Homer yet, and he'll be home any minute. Oh, really? Hey, wait a minute. What are all these presents? It looks like you're... Showering Marge with gifts. Hmm. 
with little <laughs> tiny baby-sized gifts. Well, I'll be in the tub. By the way, congratulations on your new job, Homer. <laughs> new job. Marge is pregnant! No! <laughs> what I love about that clip specifically is it's so funny, um, but is also grounded in a very uh, real situation for this domestic family, uh-huh. right? This this is this is a story about Homer who 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 finally gets his dream job and then realizes he can't. Uh, keep it because he needs to make more money because his wife is pregnant again, right. um, which is is such a, a, a heartbreaking story on its face. Um, but then they're able to kind of festoon it with jokes um, in a way that doesn't undercut it, but actually makes it feel more powerful. Mm-hmm. So for me, I mean, the, the the biggest way The Simpsons has influenced BoJack and and my outlook on comedy, and, and it's influenced so many factors of it. But the biggest is the way they were able to tell sometimes sad stories uh, in ways that didn't. Um, sacrifice comedy and and to tell funny stories in ways that didn't sacrifice character and didn't sacrifice the emotions. Another show on your list uh, that uh, I all wanted to see so badly when it when it came out and never did is this Canadian show called The Newsroom, not the Aaron yeah. Sorkin Ernest uh, yes. HBO series from years later. T- talk about The Newsroom and how you okay. how you stumbled on it. Uh, I want to shout this show from the mountaintops because I feel like people do not know it especially because there's another show called The Newsroom by Aaron Sorkin. Uh, it is very, it's harder to find. But it's a show from the 90s um, by this guy Ken Finkelman. It's Achilles' heel, or, or, or one of the reasons it's not talked about so much, is it is in, in, in many ways, it feels very clearly and heavily influenced by The Larry Sanders Show. So it, it is very much in the same vein. It's this very pitch black comedy. Um, I think, you know, for me... I saw the newsroom first. I was exposed to that show. I just ha- it happened. They happened to be re-airing it on PBS when I was in high school, and I became fascinated with it. And it kind of in- injected that kind of pitch black sensibility. But it's great. It's I mean, it's it's hilarious. And I it's highly about, recommend it. It's about it. a TV a TV news. Yes. Yeah. So it's about it's about a, it's about a local news station in Canada. Um, and it's it's pitch black satire. You know, a lot of like that. The, the joke we heard earlier from BoJack about the you know people are bummed out about these mass shootings because mm-hmm. it hurts their uh, you know their their box office that is like directly um, you know in line with with the newsroom sensibility. Well, we're hoping that there's a Canadian dead. I mean that that's we're hoping he's dead. Okay, how about this? Perhaps one Canadian was eaten by piranha-like fish. I have a problem with that. I mean, uh, how do we know he was eaten? Perhaps one Canadian may have been eaten by piranha-like fish. Or perhaps one Canadian may have been eaten Hello. by flesh-eating fish. I can live with flesh-eating. Yeah. They're concerned about the news in as far as they're concerned about the ratings for the news. Um, you know, it's these very uh, selfish, myopic people who are kind of, who have this responsibility to inform um, and, you know, and, and affect the conversation. Um, but they are mainly interested in their own bottom lines and everyone's kind of looking out for themselves. Um, and it's just brilliantly crafted satire in that way. And it's, it's, it's bone dry. And that's one of the things I love about it as well. You've convinced me. I, I Seriously, I'm, I'm going to now watch yeah, it, seek it as out. soon as I can. Mad Men yeah. was on your list of uh, shows. Uh, just uh, here, here is a clip from the finale of the first season of Mad Men where Don's pitching Kodak. And this is John Hamm doing that. My first job, I was in-house at a fur company with this old pro copywriter, Greek, named Teddy. And Teddy told me the most important idea in advertising is new. But he also talked about 
a deeper bond with the product. Nostalgia. Mad Men is not a comedy, and you, one sees Don Draper being cynical but serious, and which is he? Do you like that show because Don Draper is kind of bojacky? I love it. I mean, I, I, I think you could... Uh... That's that's the generous way to put it. You might say, is Bojack kind of Don Drapery because yeah. you like that show? Um, and I I adore Mad Men. And I think you know when I think about like what do I want to do with my show? What do I want this show to be? Um, there's a specific thing that Mad Men made me feel, um, which is that it, it 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 crawled inside of me and kind of wormed inside of me in ways that I did not understand. And it felt like magic. That it wasn't just that I liked it. It felt like it became a part of me while I was watching it. You know, um, another one of my favorite shows is Arrested Development. And um, I, I, which you could also trace the influences to BoJack, obviously. Um, and, and I remember when that was on uh, on Fox, and it wasn't doing well in the ratings. I, it it blew my mind. I couldn't understand why everyone didn't love this show that was so obviously brilliant. And Mad Men was the opposite. That to me. I couldn't understand why other people loved it because it felt so personal and mm. so much a part of me and it spoke directly to me. It it, it like it, it ripped my rib cage open and just fed itself directly into my heart. And I think everyone felt that way. And that's what was so amazing about it. And I'm not like Don Draper, really. Like none of the characters really spoke to me specifically or my experience, but just something about the nakedness of the emotion and the vulnerability about it really kind of wedged its way in. And that is something that we do try to do on Bojack and I think we do succeed for some people that some people feel like oh my god this show sees me and this show gets me and, and is inside <laughs> me in a way and I don't actually know how we do it like I don't I don't know what the practical steps are for making that other than knowing that it's, it's a thing that we aim for and it's a thing that we try to scratch right. You're a big star now, and 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 you have this. Oh, Net- thank you. You have this Netflix series, and and it's people uh, has buzz and critical acclaim, and people love it. Um, given that you have thought a lot these last few years, writing this show and overseeing this show about the down dark downside of success and fame in Hollywood, is, is life getting a little too close to the show for you in any way? Um. No, I mean, I I, uh, I like to think I have a good head on my shoulders and I'm trying to take it all in stride. I don't know if I will have a great second act or if BoJack will be the thing that I'm remembered for always. I, I would like to think that I can be okay with that and be healthy about that and, and you know, and go... Uh, you know, to a cabin in the woods and, and, and write my novels <laughs> for me that will never be read by anyone, you know, whatever it is. And you do have a good head on your shoulders. Uh, <laughs> Raphael Bob Waxberg, uh, thank you very, very, very much. Oh, thank you. This is so much fun. What a pleasure. Raphael Bob Waxberg is the creator and maker of Bojack Horseman. The show is out now on Netflix. Thanks for listening, and you can subscribe to Studio 360 wherever you get podcasts.